Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yeah. The Laugh Podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts, the L Train. With me today is Mr. Two Frames Bull. How are you today, sir? Doing well. All right. Uh, were you able to see any movies this weekend? This past weekend? Did you go to any movies? No, I didn't get to go see. <gasps> what? I know you got to see a movie. I did. And you said uh, we should compare this to a movie we saw a while back but never talked about on the show. Right. That we could do a little tie-in with suspense. Right. Two different genres uh, working in suspense with uh, – Two very different outcomes as far as I'm concerned. We're going to first talk about the universally acclaimed horror teen movie, mystery movie, It Follows. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. Having some sort of freedom, I guess. Okay. Are you awake? What You're not going to believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. David Robert Mitchell's second movie. Um, it's supposed to be a throwback to the Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. Uh, yesterday I tweeted out Anatomy of a Scene. The New York Times uh, puts together this web series, and they have the director come on and talk about a scene. It was the opening scene of that movie that I saw. And when I saw that scene... And the scene that directly follows it, I was on board. Ooh. Yeah, I really thought that, that was a well-done um, shot, the way they pulled it off and some of the themes that it was communicating, some of the different things it was doing visually. I kind of liked it. And then uh, then it took a sharp downhill turn for me. Yeah, and I, I wound up not enjoying the movie so much. Not a big fan of It Follows, surprisingly. Yeah. All right, fair enough. It's uh, it's got like ninety seven percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Ooh, so this is the highest ranked horror movie in the last year or so, since probably the, since the Babadook, probably. Which was another horror movie that I kind of liked. It came out last year about a mother and a child in peril. This movie is about teenagers in peril, and they uh, or a teenager in particular. And then whoever else she sleeps with, because it acts as a metaphor. I guess some people think of it as a, a treatise against a casual sex between teens. The setup is you find out that in, very early on that the uh, the person who's being tormented is is being followed by a creature that, if it gets close enough to him, it could kill him. But it just walks in a very steady pace directly at the uh, at the individual, and however you get this 
this entity attached to you is through sexual intercourse. Mm. So if someone has sex with you, they, they set this up early in the movie and they set up this list of rules that if someone has sex with you, then this thing will follow you. And if it ever touches you, it could kill you. If it doesn't, if it, if it does kill you, then it's going to move on to me. So you better be careful. It, or it just goes go have sex back to the person that it goes back to the original person. Uh, so just be careful or sleep with somebody and pass it on and hope and encourage them to sleep with other people. Yeah, just keep on pushing it on. Because you want to get as far down the chain as possible. Supposedly, that's how it works. Oh, okay. These I are like the rules that it sets up. It's the classic rift on Friday the 13th. Every time teenagers have sex in that movie, they die within about five minutes. Well, this is much more deliberate. <laughs> Supposedly yeah. uses a whole lot of horror conventions that uh, I suppose are found in other movies. So that it harkens back to Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. Very definitely uh, Halloween. Uh, Halloween has a lot of shots of neighborhoods, and you always get the feel like you're standing in the neighborhood. You're watching from Michael Myers' perspective. There's a bit of that voyeur-esque uh, so the, atmosphere. This movie kind of plays along with that, too, that idea that you might be the creature or the entity or the ghost or whatever it is that's coming after you, or coming after the girl, I suppose. So it puts you... The, the viewer in the subjective viewpoint of the evil creature, and then it's just an indictment against your inherent evil nature, I suppose. Uh, the, the movie, it never, it never thrilled me or scared me. There was nothing, you know, maybe yeah. mentioned in the past how low or how high my threshold is in order to be motivated in one direction or another mm-hmm. very stoic but i laughed at times when other people i think would have been scared <laughs> was I, it the nervous chuckle no it was like <laughs> that's i and it wasn't that it wasn't original it just that and it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't telegraphed it just didn't it didn't scare me it didn't there was nothing about it that made me tense. That 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 made me shocked. Even it, it, it's it's kind of weird. Maybe it let, the only thing that made me uh, it kind of confused me in terms of where I am personally and how I am so different from well, the you've, multitude. You've often talked about you really don't care about the characters in movies. You don't feel an emotional attachment to them, and I so care, you don't really care when they die. I care less about teenagers. <laughs> I care less about stupid teenagers than I do about any, any other individual, I guess, group, especially when they're making questionable decisions. Anyway, the teenagers in question are played by Maka Monroe, mm-hmm. plays Jay Hyde. You know who that is? Yeah, she was in The Guest, a uh, movie I saw actually a couple of weeks ago and really enjoyed. She was also in The Bling Ring. I guess she's up and coming. She's got about four movies coming out in the next two years. Hmm? Uh, her sister, Kelly, is played by Lily Seppi. Don't know that. Yeah, I've never heard of her. Her friend, Yara, is played by Olivia Lucardi. She's like the Velma character in, in Scooby-Doo's. Ooh. Yeah. I like it. There's a Velma character. There's a Fred character sort of stereotype, I guess, if, if those are archetypes. Yeah. They, they... She's the Velma archetype. Uh, two years ago, they did Saturday Morning Massacre, which they take 
the Scooby-Doo gang okay. and put them in an actual horror movie where they right. go to an actual haunted house. I mean, they never use the actual names because it's copyright. Right. But yeah, I dubbed the Velma girl in uh, Saturday Morning Massacre. Well, there you go. You, you probably dig Olivia Lucardi. She doesn't do a whole a whole lot in the movie, but she's there for purposes. I mean, she she moves things along a little bit. Keir Gilchrist plays probably the most interesting teenager in the movie, Paul. He's got a lot to do. He's sort of like Shaggy, but he's got a crush on. Uh, yeah. Daphne? Yeah, Daphne. He's got a crush on Daphne or slash Jay in this movie. Uh, and he's very subtle with the looks he gives her and sort of communicated um, fairly early on, he becomes, his motivations are clearer than the rest of the, um, than, than the rest of the characters. Then the, the, you might remember this guy from uh, his role as his voice role as Kyle in the, the tan aquatic with Steve Zizou episode of family guy. Nevertheless, the Greg uh, Harrigan role, played by I think it's Harrigan, Danny, Daniel Zavato. You know him. All right, so he's the he's the uh, he's the character Fred. Okay. And Shaggy, yeah. He's, okay, so we do get the classic setup of these four. Kind of. He's like the hero. Differing guy. personalities, but they're still all friends. But they are all very different types of people. Yeah, only they're they're not as close as as the Scooby Doo Shaggy. Maybe the Scooby Doo Shaggy metaphor doesn't work quite as well, but there's still archetypes in there. He's so there's a the dog hero. in here? No, there should be. That would have made the movie a lot better. But you know what would happen to the dog? Well, yeah, the dog would have died. But the dog could live at the end, and it would be very. It would be a happy movie for me. I don't know. The guy Greg, uh, he reminded me of Mike Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hmm? Remember that character? <sighs> All right, so a lot of people see this as a treatise on, uh, like, a venereal disease, a hyper-intense venereal disease that you would get and it would cause this ghost to come after you. I see it more as, like, a treatise against teenage pregnancy. (laughs) I think that's what it is. Or unwanted pregnancy. Okay. The parents are absent from the movie. That's what allows them to not only engage in these sexual encounters, but also... uh, to go from place to place as they're being chased after or running away from um, the the ghost creatures or whatever. Oh, also the ghost can change forms. That's another thing that was kind of weird. It, it could be a person that's close to you, or it could be someone that you that you don't know. It could be just an old lady. In one scene, it's this old lady that's kind of just like walking down the hallway after. So you never really know how close this monster is to you. Well, there's always in the background, there's always like someone walking. So that could be the monster that's like leering <laughs> over you or coming towards you. And they make references to this in the film, so I'm not necessarily spoiling anything. Yeah, you wouldn't know. I think in one scene, it, it, it could be disguised. Could you trap this person on a treadmill? Well, you see, now there, <laughs> therein is another problem that I have with a movie. But I might have to save it for spoilers. So... Anything else you want to hear about it before? I think people should go see it. Is this a supernatural movie or a slasher film? Because you're comparing it to... Okay. Yeah, it's not a... It's more like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess, than Halloween. Although I never saw 
Halloween. <laughs> I saw oh, Halloween some good stuff. Nightmare on Elm Street. When I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, it was probably moved me a little bit more than it would now if I watched it. Now I guess I just find it kind of laughable. But um, what, what what good horror movie? I mean, Halloween, Halloween Four. So, but do they do they move you? Like, do do they do you feel tense watching them? Uh, I, I did. I mean, I watched most of these horror movies, especially from the '80s when I was a teenager, and I enjoyed them. I liked the Halloween movies quite a bit because of the cinematography. Uh, the original two were directed by John Carpenter, and then I think he was a producer on the third. But the, the great thing with those movies were they were some of the first movies to use a steady cam, so you got this real freedom of movement. Everything felt very fluid, and the opening shot of Halloween you see the murderous child put on this clown mask and then you're looking out through the clown mask as he goes from the street into his house up to his sister's bedroom and murders his sister. And you have this first-person point of view the whole time. And So it's an exercise of... It, it was the first time a movie showed you the murder from the killer's eyes. All right, but I'm, I guess what I'm wondering is I, most people don't watch movies like that and they don't even... I don't even know if they would... I'm sure there are some sophisticated viewers in our audience who would notice what was going on there. But most people, I think, when they go to watch movies are are sort of just caught up in the story. And the way that the story unfolds itself gives them a sensation of fear mm-hmm. or shock. I kind of want that. I mean, that's why I continue to give these movies a shot. And it never really happens. It never happens. I'm not saying that I'm jaded or anything mm-hmm. i've seen enough to, like the shining that creeped me out and scared me i did see it when i was like 13 or whatever this movie's been compared to the shining people say that it's on par with the shining they and they think it's scarier than the shining i want to know if you've seen any movies that make you feel that way like but, have you seen any movies that scare you recently not when no, you're 13 no, but I, I don't get scared yeah and I, and I mean, it's also I'm able to think outside of myself. Uh, this the whole supernatural stuff that doesn't scare me. What scares the the horror movies that disturb me more than scare me are the ones that are plausible. Um, you know, these supernatural things they don't scare me. Uh, there was a movie, um, Prophecy, which is about people who suffer from Munchausen's by proxy, which is where you like poison your child so that they get medical attention and you receive attention from that. That creeps me out because there actually are people that suffer from that disease. And while the things in the movie are a bit of a stretch, they are within the realm of possibility. Well, I think we've talked about this in the past on the show, but I, the Blair Witch Project, which was trumpeted by many as being incredibly scary, the thing that freaked me out most about that was the fact that it, in the scenario that they set up, it could have been a ghost or a witch or it could have been a real person. The real person scenario creeps me out a heck of a lot more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Man's uh, propensity for evil towards itself is a lot more frightening to me than anything. Yeah, as soon as you go supernatural, I'm not in. But my favorite horror movies are the ones where it's just evil, demented people. Devil's Rejects, Mm -hmm. great movie. If you like horror. I mean, it's it's definitely not for everyone. But I could see people being that despicable. I still haven't seen The Orphanage. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that another supernatural thing? Yeah, it's yeah, kind of. I don't want to spoil it. For all right, uh, all right. So I'm gonna go watch the orphanage later. 
the, the problem with a lot of these horror movies are they don't ratchet up the suspense. They have one gear, I find, until the very end when all of a sudden things go way too quickly. There is no gradual ramping up of the pressure. This movie might be doing that. This movie might be tightening the screws. Yeah. I mean, that's why The Shining works so well, because you can see the main character slowly losing his grip on sanity, and he gets worse and worse. His outbursts become more frequent. Some of the acting in this movie and some of the way it's written allows you to, to have that, um, that reading of it. The problem that... All right, so I think people should go see it, make their own judgment, especially if you're into that sort of thing. I do notice that it's the, the, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience doesn't like it as much as the critics. It's got like sixty eight percent. Well, you say it's doing a lot more with cinematography and yeah, it's got a lot probably sound on. design. I'd imagine. Yeah, I think probably. Yeah, sounds there. I mean, it's got an interesting score by um, oh, the, the title of the band that does the score is an oxymoron. Like it's like disaster piece or something like that. I can't remember the they. I think it's disaster piece. Yeah, but it's. P E A C because they're very, yeah they're very sophisticated, but they do the score and uh, it leads. It's like a Trent Reznor sort mm-hmm. of um, very intense in the background, and then it points. It it'll you know resonate with the whatever visuals going on on the screen. But um, yeah, I guess it's worth it to go see. But I, I didn't really like it. So, uh, but I do have some things I want to talk about in spoilers. All right. So we're going to spoil this movie for you. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. All right. So, uh, the rules. It sets up these rules. You can't have... You, you, if you have sex with somebody, then it's passed on to that other person. Yeah. What and if you have sex a second time? Can you give it back to him? Well, no tag backs? Yeah, no backsies. <laughs> In the movie, the girl has sex with multiple partners, including this Paul character. And he goes and has sex with some prostitutes. I mean, they don't show any of that. It's all suggested. At one point she, she swims out to a boat and has sex with like three or four guys. Uh, she has sex with Paul to try and get this monster away from to get her. the monster away from her. Supposedly the more people, you know, the more mm-hmm. distance you would have between. It would be difficult for me to believe, but especially after you screw some, prostitute that that prostitute wouldn't then continue to screw other people and then like I would probably think that the prostitute would never even know that something was following her if she's good <laughs> at her job she could pass it along right Quite right possible so it happens in very short order that they're in, in the in I mean, within and you like don't two see or three these days. fishermen or these prostitutes being killed. No, they never follow their story at all. Alright. But then at the end the, the last shot of the film, there's of course someone walking in the background towards these kids. It could be following them. It follows. 
themselves, you know. Uh, they can, at times, they shoot at the entity, and the bullets pass through it, mm-hmm. but then it also can hit them. And slow it down? Well, I, they may have slowed it down enough to kill it at one point, because there's a scene at the end, near the end, where they capture it in a pool. Mm-hmm. They go to a pool, and they have this plan to electrocute it. So they bring... Now, that's another element of the movie that was just so ridiculous. They go to this pool, you find out it's in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the world building of this movie is superior to the world building in Insurgent because they're actually using these real old decrepit buildings, right? One of the decrepit buildings where these homeless people are living is the pool. The pool is like chlorinated. It's got electricity running to it. You know, it's lighted, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's a big abandoned building with a lighted pool. So. Mm-hmm. And then the kids decide that they're going to go to this pool. They're going to try to capture this thing. And they're going to bring it to the pool and get it in the water and then electrocute it by throwing in lamps that are all hooked up to these you know, uh, extension cords. Television sets, lamps, uh, irons, hair dresser, you know, hair dryers, all that. I guess they were all just waiting there by the pool. These these tools and all of these extension cords were just like by the and all of these appliances all are of these from appli- the seventies or before before we. Well, that's the other thing that's weird about the movie, which I kind of like. They don't tell you what the time period is, and a lot of the. The cars are eighties cars, okay. And except she, she, one of the girl, the Velma character has a, a clamshell. It's like a makeup case, and it opens up, and she's reading a book on it. And and they they make a point of showing that on the screen. So it's got they have some form of digital technology, but all of the television, none of the television sets are flat screens. Hmm. They're all you know box black and white television sets. And they're, they're driving in these vintage, not vintage cars, but, you know, circa 1980s, 19... It's, it, you can't really place it in terms of its time because they have the existing technology of today. Some of them, they, they're all, like, on regular phones, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there is a cell phone at one point. Yeah, early in the movie, there's a cell phone. But they don't really come back to it. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre in that... Which, I mean, they're doing it by design, but I don't know if it's effective All right, so or not. they're going to electrocute this they're monster. They're going to electrocute this monster, and uh, the monster figures it out. He never goes in the pool. <laughs> He's a smart monster. Yeah, I mean, to me, you just dig a big hole and wait for the monster to fall in the hole. They throw a bag on Tiger it. Tiger pit. They, they, throw a ba- they throw a blanket on it so that they can see where it is, and then they put a gun up to its head and shoot it. Falls into the pool, and then the girl climbs over to the edge of the pool, and it's just, it's just... Red, like the pool is bathed in red. Someone says, "Is it dead?" And she climbs to the edge of the pool and she looks in, and it, and you know it's very visually it's 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 cool to look at. It kind of reminds me of uh, the end of Let the Right One In, mm-hmm. and you see this blood like in the pool, and then the you know disaster piece score swells, and then it cuts to black, and now you're in the coda. So you don't really know if that's the end of the movie or not. <laughs> you just don't the, see the creature in the pool. 
So this is definitely getting a sequel, so they can world build on it. I don't and know. Maybe I don't mythology. know if this guy Robert David David Robert Mitchell. He's got three first names. This guy, <laughs> he's taking Tony Scott to the bank, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is on it. Probably it's going to make some money. The Weinstein groups involved. Um, what's the other thing? Oh, they can shoot through it with bullets sometimes, or she's mm-hmm. just a really poor shot. But one time they're shooting right at a point blank and it hits Velma in the knee. Hmm. And then she, another time, uh, early on, she's shooting at, she's shooting at, maybe she's missing, maybe she's not, but then it hits into the neck, blood spurts out of the neck and the thing falls over. So, hmm. and then it turns in, I, I don't know. It doesn't really follow the rules that it says it sets up. And then it supposedly can only be seen by the person who's the object of its, um, uh, scorn, mm-hmm. but the girl's looking out of the window. She passes it on to another guy, not Paul. She passes it on to the to the Fred character. I think his name is Greg in the movie. And when she does that, he's like, "Yeah, I haven't seen any ghosts." You know, she just thinks that she's crazy, but she's no longer being followed. He gets followed, but it's him. He's being followed by himself. But he doesn't see it. She sees it from across the street. This very weird existential switch. She runs out of the house and goes over to the house. Jumps in the house like, what is she going to (laughs) do? Why is she doing this? It's crazy. She climbs up the stairs. She sees the the entity. And it's the guy. It's no longer him. It's his mother. Hmm. And then, I mean, is there something crazy going on with the eyes so that you're sure that this is the monster you're seeing and not just some random person walking around? Well, in this scenario where she sees him walking, he tries to get in the door and knocks on the door, and then the, no one opens the door, so he backs up like a zombie a couple of steps and throws a rock through the window and then dives through the window. Hmm. So she's she knows that it's oh, okay. this guy, and then she gets scared and she's it's just, it, I don't know, it just it doesn't seem to follow the rules that it sets up for itself. And ironically, this is one of the things that's being praised for <laughs> by the critics. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes when you like a movie, you're willing to overlook its flaws and its uh, uh, bad points of logic. I don't where, know. Where the movie falls apart. I'm willing to do that sometimes, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm not. Pack rim, as we have often said in here. Yeah, but yeah, Pac Rim has some huge leaps right. of logic. True, but it knew what it was, wasn't trying. I, that doesn't mean you get to write plot holes. All right, fine. We don't need to. <laughs> no, yeah, we don't good. need to rehash that. So, suspense in films is something that I'm interested in, even though these horror films don't often work for me. But a movie that did work for me was the movie Seventy One. All right, this is a Irish film. It came out last year, and I remember seeing it um, because it had that young Jack O'Connell in it. He reminds me of a young Tom Hardy, very physical actor. Okay. But he's also, uh, he has nuanced character development. In this movie, he plays a guy named Gary Hook, who is in uh, Belfast, Ireland, in the middle of the, of the Troubles, the period of uh, dissension between... Irish and Catholics and the IRA, and uh, he's a, he plays a British soldier. So he's there, and he faces extreme emotional and physical challenges during his deployment. 
Attention! Because of the deteriorating security situation in Belfast, you aren't being deployed there on an emergency basis. We need to go out there and reassure people. We're here to protect them. We need to look them in the eye and tell them that. This is the front line, boys. Catholics and Protestants living side by side at each other's throats. Divided by the Divis flats. But do not enter the flats. They become very dangerous. Now, this movie works on a suspenseful level. And it's probably the best picture I've seen this year that's come out, you know, that, that's yeah, been yeah. available for me to see in 2015. Um, I mean, it's up there with the Kingsman, although they're two very different movies in terms of what they're doing. This movie is an intense, complex odyssey that sort of encapsulates the multiple sides of the controversy in Belfast and what was going on in Belfast. And so each viewpoint in the movie is expressed, not didactically, but uh, we get a real feeling, I think, in the movie about how convoluted the war is, that civil war, that there is no right or wrong side, that there are sides. And we're dealing with it in a, what it would be like. This is literally a modern civil war, you know, modern mm-hmm. 1971. It began in the 1600s in Ireland, and they started fighting for home rule. Uh, in addition to the character played by Jack O'Connell, Gary Hook, the second strongest character is Wee Man. He's that little twelve-year-old leader of the forces. Oh yeah, yeah I like the that Ulster kid. Volunteer Force. He kind of hooks up with this guy. Now this is the point when after he meets him in the movie, and we're not going to spoil a whole lot. But it was about halfway through the movie where it lost you, right? Yeah. Now this is where it really ramped up for me. Because I thought that he was great, the wee man, and then that that whole interaction—that's where the any if there was any humor in the movie, that's where it came from. And then it 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 sort of ratcheted itself up, and this is where I began to be really so it began to be really suspenseful for me. And I'm wondering why it lost you there. I think there were too many coincidences in this movie. Too many people that you saw from earlier in the film show back up again. It felt. Extremely small, the area that was taking place in. But then all the IRA guys are driving cars around. It seems like they're driving the cars around for good chunks of time, 20, 30 minutes. I'm thinking, where are they driving to? Hmm. You know, it felt like the whole movie was taking place within about five square city blocks. Yeah, I think that's how they set it up. Why do you need a car? Why does it take you so long to get places? It's easier to search for somebody in a car than it is to walk around and search for them. Uh, All right, no, fair yeah, enough. I mean, they, they, they just they, they they move around a lot. Also, there are a lot. There's so many of these coincidences. Uh, William Goldman, who's a very famous screenplay writer, he says you can use coincidences to get your character in trouble. You should not use coincidences to get him out of trouble. That's where the suspension of disbelief often falls off for an audience. All right, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to table that because we will have to have a spoiler section because I really don't know how that works for you in this movie because I, I wasn't able to see anything coming. I wasn't able to 
I, I wasn't able to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's what I liked about it. This reminded me of my pick of the week, the Rover, my Amazon Prime pick of the week from the We Laugh edition last, you know, yesterday or whenever you guys listened to it. I couldn't tell where that was headed. Blue Room was the same way. And that's how I, that's how this movie got me. But you say it was telegraphed. Yeah, I, I knew at least one character who was going to pop back in because they featured this character so much in the initial uh, conflict where the soldier becomes separated right. from his unit. Huh. All right. All right. Yeah, so, all right. I'd like to talk to you about that. Uh, do you think it's a good movie? Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not huge on the IRA stuff. I, I've enjoyed some films, uh, Crying Game, The Devil's Own, uh, In the Name of the Father. Those have all been fine films to watch. Yeah, those are my uh, – I actually kind of like this this genre, this subgenre of war film. Blown Away? The Civil War – yeah, that could have been a different type of movie. <laughs> no, there was a movie that came out uh 2006, I think, with Cillian Murphy in it. Which had it set in nineteen twenties, um, the the hand that shakes the bar or the wind that shakes the barley, uh, and then Bloody Sunday mm-hmm. was Paul Greengrass's movie right before Captain Phillips, and it had a lot of that um, sort of I don't know uh, documentary sort of uh, filmmaking okay. brought yeah. to life, or you know, in a dramatic form. Um, Michael Collins, did you ever see that? With no. Liam Neeson? It was a pretty good movie, too. Uh, and then Hunger, which is just, it has the uh, the troubles as its uh, sort of background, but it involves a hunger strike in a prison. So it's not really about this sort of battle. You're not moving around fighting between forces. But. Yeah, that stars uh, Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. and it was... Steve McQueen's movie right before they won the Oscar for 12 Years a Slave. So it's the same tone mm-hmm. as that movie. And it was yeah, it was probably one of my top movies in 2012, I guess, or 2013, whenever it came out. Um, to me, this this movie was was really tight in terms of its screenplay, and it, and it wasn't really projected. It was written by Gregory Burke, it's his first cinematic screenplay. And first-time director Jan Demange. So I was surprised by how tightly nuanced it was and directed and counterbalanced. The, 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 the visuals were counterbalanced by the dialogue and vice versa. And I think we begin to experience the disorientation that Hook feels when he's in this situation. Because it doesn't really do a very good job of putting you geographically in the right spot. But that's where Hook is. And so you feel that sense of disorientation that sort of manifests itself in me anyway mm-hmm. as suspense. And that's what I that's why I think this movie is superior to it follows, because it causes me to feel what that character is feeling. And I actually, there were a couple of times when I was like, I don't know, gripping the remote control or whatever. And I, hmm. I found myself being pulled into this story much more so than it follows. And it's not that I'm like particularly motivated to care for British IRA soldiers, 
more so the teenagers. Like, I mean, it's not like he's a puppy running around. Yeah. But uh, anyway. No, I'm glad that the movie worked. I, I, I don't know. I just never, it never hooked me. All right. So, ironically, Hook, the <laughs> character Hook never hooked you. I like the fact that it's uh, nothing is really clear. Oh, and see, that's what I did. Really All right, so let's talk about it in spoilers. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. Oh, Cassius. Brutus gave the word too early. His soldiers felt a spoil. All right, no, the thing I didn't care for was a lot of the cinematography. There was too much shaky cam. Wow, and the movie, shaky that takes cam, me out of the movie. And the shaky cam that was there really bothered me. A lot of times I can just gut it out, but for whatever reason, the way that they would work the shaky cam, uh, wow, it was very I didn't even disconcerting. It. Oh, yeah. Wow. Did it, not care I, for it, it at yeah, all. Yeah, because I hated that in Captain Phillips. But I, I'll admit, I don't like the Bourne movies, especially the the last two with Matt Damon. And everyone praised the shaky cam work in those films, and I hate it. I think that you just ruined the movie for a lot of people that are going to go see it. Because, honestly, I hate <laughs> shaky cam, but if you tell me the movie's going to be shaky cam, and I go see it, that's all I'll see. Well, so, way to go. This is the spoiler section. Yeah. Consider so, yourself yeah. spoiled. <laughs> Boom. Uh, Mic drop. All right, so, what was it that was communicated that you saw so... Oh, clearly in the, the the pretty girl who was in the protest line, the one who got so upset and was like oh, spitting see, on the even, troops, and then she shows up later in the movie with her father. That's that's the girl that I, he. I'm he pretty wanted. sure it's the same girl. Because I'm like, wow, she's like the only pretty girl. There are no other youngish girls. It's a bunch of huh. men. See, and, yeah, but I just saw that as a face crowd. And, I didn't even see individuals oh, in the crowd. The one that, oh, to me, she stood out. But from the, the camera crowd. doesn't focus on her. Maybe that's just your perversion. No, they came back a couple times to her, and uh, the right, right gets out of control. I think she spits on a soldier. The soldier hits another guy, and that's okay, when everything that's gets her. riotous. Yeah, and then this kid runs forward and grabs the gun and runs off with the gun, and that's what well, you know, precipitates the, it is set going in, bad. This very small area. It's Divis Flats. I mean, and they say, don't go into this place, which is exactly where they go. And it turns out it's, it's the apartment complex where this girl lives. So, I mean, it's it's not that big of a stretch. Oh, but when I saw her, I, I just went, oh, she's going to feature back into this film. She's too pretty to be an extra. All right. See, they, I didn't they, even they see her. It is your Focus conversion. her too much in the center of the frame. I just I noticed her. I'm like, boom, she's going to show up. The the creepy quiet kid. Well, yeah, the, but the foot the camera does focus. As on soon that. as I saw him, I'm like, oh, he's going to be in a I think lot his more. His name of this is film. Sean. Yeah, in the movie, I knew that, but that didn't mean that you knew what he was going to do. Oh, I knew he was going to be creepy, but you didn't know that he was going to not kill Hook at the end. And in fact, he's the Deus oh, Ex no, Machina. I, no, I knew he wasn't going to. As soon as you have the scene with him, with his sister, and he's trying to tell his sister to do her work and that she needs to try. As soon as no, they humanized I, him there, I went, oh. Did you know that he was... All right. I knew he uh, was all of a sudden a redeemable character because we kept with him longer than Yeah, but than see, you're else. in a... Okay. He doesn't shoot him at the beginning when he has a chance. He tells, he tells uh, Quinn, I think that the gun jammed and he doesn't shoot hook when he had the chance to shoot him. The next time he gets the chance, there's enough there to, to suggest that he, he's having that crisis where you don't know if he's going to shoot him or not. 
I think. I think we needed more redeemable people on the IRA side. I think the movie could have ended with him shooting Hook. And when they when they pull him off, they take him away. That's the one part I didn't like was when they like grab him, take him, you know, the sort of James Bond thing where mm-hmm. you know we're going to set up this elaborate thing where they could have just shot him right there if that was their motivation. But then the movie works with itself and it says we have to have this. We want to, this guy to you know earn his uh, living as a not. Yeah, they want to the prove word? himself. Prove himself. He yeah, has yeah. to make his bones. Make his bones is the word I was gonna. That's what I was looking for. So he was looking to make his bones and shoot this guy. And then I think there's enough suspense there as to whether or not the guy's going to get shot. Oh no! To me, they telegraphed all the stuff. Uh, as soon as they show you the bomb and the guy's like, be careful with that. And he almost drops. I'm like, ah, oh, the bombs are going to explode. Really? Oh, yeah, I saw All that. Right, I Especially as soon as they got the main villain out of the But the way bar, that it did. As soon as they got him out, I'm like, the bomb's got to go off. Huh. All right. You so, start bringing your main no, characters away from an explosion or a possible explosion, the chance of the I explosion happening go on, way up. My mind was working out how complicated the divisions were and how how the IRA was the subterfuge that was going on as a subtext of that scene was enough to distract me from the point where I wasn't thinking about whether or not the bomb was going to explode accidentally. This is a movie I would have loved or liked a whole lot more 10, 12 years ago before I've gotten so good at watching movies <laughs> and reading into them. Is that a subtle dig at me? No, no, I think you got caught up in other aspects. But I think a lot of people aren't going to notice the subtleties of the film. And I've always heard well, I, I'm people good say at picking out subtleties in film. Don't take a film class because you're going to start you're going to be told what to watch for in movies and it's going to ruin your movie watching experience. I do feel like my accoutrement All right. at, at film watching ruined some bits of this. Yeah, but for some me. good movies play with those conventions and they and they turn them around. Yeah, I didn't see this playing with any conventions. I saw this being pretty straightforward. It, it's a well-told tale. It works well. I think they hide the small budget well. You didn't know that the um, that the British officer or the 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 um, undercover agents that were working in league with the soldiers were also working with the Ulster Volunteer Force and the IRA at the same time. Because that movie doesn't set up the motivations for him to continue to play. When he lets Quinn go at the end, the 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 British undercover mm-hmm. officer goes to Quinn. He tells Boyle he's going to kill Quinn. He goes to Quinn and he's like, "You got to take care of Boyle." He doesn't he chooses not to kill him. That had to surprise you. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think that they were just trying to show there really are no sides, like you said earlier, that this is a very convoluted war. And it's all people that you know that are fighting in this war. I mean, what side they're on, you know, whether it's the father taking care of the British soldier just because right, they realize this they is a kid he's hurt. Yeah. I don't think that they're, they're, they're not heavy. It's not heavy-handed. I think it's, it's subtle enough. No. To where this this movie is elevated over other movies that have those stereotypes that play out very differently. So, all right. I mean, in the IRA movies I've seen, this is in the top five. <laughs> okay. I've seen five, I think. I think it's better than most of them. I think it's better than The Crying Game. 
the crying game, well, not to spoil anything, but the IRA stuff's really only good for the first 15 minutes of that film. Patriot Games might oh, okay, be. we're going, yeah. I don't know. I like Patriot Games, but yeah, it's calling that an IRA film is a stretch. All right. Fair enough. I'm glad I, I saw it. I'd yeah. recommend it to people, especially right. if you like that time period in history. I'd like to see what you think of It Follows, if you think you should watch It Follows. Oh, Maybe I you should go see it over the spring break. I'll put it on the list. We need to do a spring preview thing. Yes. Maybe it's almost in the summer. Well, this weekend kicks off the official start of summer with uh, Furious 7. Wow. Last year it was in May. No, this year last year April? Was, no, this year or last year was in April. Just over spring break last year, I watched Captain America 2, Winter Soldier. Wow, I thought that was in uh, May. I thought yeah, it was May no, now they are taking advantage of uh, Easter weekend. All right, we also have other good news. We do? I think we're podcast of the month. And it's not official. <laughs> it's not official yet, but... Knock on wood, throw last salt night, over your shoulder, we were, spit, turn three we times. We had 74 votes, and the next nearest competitor only had like 30. So... Could be. So, wait. We'll let you know next month if we're podcast of the month. We could be award-winning? Could be the award-winning live podcast. Still be my All of your dreams will will have come true. So, thanks for voting uh, for us on podcastland.com. You guys are the best. Yeah, we love our audience. Um, We'd love to hear what you have to say about It Follows or 71 if you get a chance to watch either of these two movies. Um, How would we get that feedback? Well, you can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, send us a message on facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast, or send us a tweet at thelaughpodcast. All right. So uh, looking forward to seeing you guys in the future. In the immortal words of Mike Damone of Ridgemont High, I mean, whatever happens, your toes are still tapping. And when you got that, then you have the attitude. <laughs> There be dragons. <laughs> so, for Mr. Dupre's over there, uh, I am the uh, L train. Pops at bottom, everybody. Welcome to the laugh pot. Sound like such an idiot. I'll take. <laughs> take two. It's got to be clean, though, man. We got to do this clean. <laughs> All right. Oh, you've already got the others. Oh, you finally templated it? Yeah, I finally figured that thing out. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I'm not even on the right.